Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruse Podcast. As always, I am Curtis Byers, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports News and Analysis. Well, uh, it was a it was a weird one. It was a wild one, but uh as I was saying before we got started recording, I, I'm past the point of having ex- any expectation of things like looking pretty for this team. And uh, a win is a win is a win is a win at this point. And uh, that was a win. And it was exciting. We, we had fun with it. So uh, we'll, we'll take that. Yeah, I was actually, this is funny enough, I asked Bloomgren during the post-game press conference, I said, do you think you're just going to let us be bored during a game at any point this year? Decided before the final minute of the fourth quarter and we can just kind of have our post game piece done and, and chill. And he said uh he said he didn't think that was gonna happen. So Yeah, they let's see they've won not four be, games against FBS. Kind of the story of the season. Yeah, they they've won four games against FBS teams this year by uh the largest of those margins is twelve, right? Yeah, that would have been Louisiana and that game was a one score game in the fourth quarter. So, uh, yeah, no, um, nothing boring with this team, I guess. Sometimes boring is nice as a fan, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) we're not getting any of it here. Yeah, I don't understand. We'll dive into it. I did want to make a a quick plug that I have here on my notes, because as we sit here recording, Rice Basketball is actually about to tip off in California at Pepperdine. So we have our first basketball game of the season, women's basketball game. Uh, I guess home openers are Thursday this week. So we're going to stick to football here, but wanted to note that uh, we got a preview up on Patreon for you guys who are subscribed there of, man, I, the, the players and the teams, they keep shifting, but we kind of have a decent nucleus on both sides. So it could be a fun question mark year for Rice Basketball on, on both the Let's men's and so. women's side. So I wanted to plug that. and then. Uh, do do rate review subscribe all that stuff on here so uh, other people find out about our bemoaning about the, <laughs> the the good and the bad of rice football and i well i guess like a conference usa but i was talking with uh, adrian broadus on espn el paso radio this past week before the game and we're starting to get to the point where we're saying goodbye of all our conference usa folks this was the last rice utep matchup in probably forever, maybe not forever, but I don't think they're going to end up on the non-conference slate. I'll just say that. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that that sort of puts it in a sharp relief. Definitely glad to not be permanently permanently ending the the like, or mostly permanently ending the like. The series with UTEP on a loss would have been a serious downer. So. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that. That makes me a lot more glad they uh, they managed to pull this one out. Yeah, maintain that one. The stats, uh, I think this was UTEP had won all of like three times in Houston in series history. And yeah, ending it on the last one would have been a bummer. So thankfully that didn't happen. Uh, uh, there was a lot just with this game that... <sighs> I think you said weird, and I think that's kind of what it was. I think if we were going back and looking at our checklist from 
the Charlotte loss and saying what we needed to see. I feel like we got uh, maybe half of those questions answered. I think the one that was most notably definitively answered was whether or not the offense was broken. And it was not. Rice punted twice in this game in 10 total drives, which yeah was really nice. After yeah, I mean, eleven yards one, a pass. Three and out. Yeah, yeah, eleven yards a pass, five point three yards a carry. Like you're looking at uh, roughly six yards a play on that. Like in some ways, it was kind of a return to form uh, for this for the times when they had been successful earlier in the season, where they really solidly outplayed UTEP on a down to down basis. I mean, UTEP ran. Uh, let's see, sixty four. Like UTEP got less than five yards of play. Rice was more than six. Um, it was really like, well, the Rice defense was, we'll, we'll get into this, but they were bad on third down and they turned the ball over and the offense turned the ball over twice, but like they, they should have won this game looking at the raw stats and uh, it was more, much more dramatic than it should have been, but they did at least. So, uh, you know, given the choice between the outplay a team and either lose close or win close, depending, because you turn the ball over too many times, it's much better than uh, <laughs> get absolutely destroyed at home by a miserable team that just fired their coach. So, like, uh, you know, if, if these are our choices, I will absolutely take this version of the team. Yeah, I I mean, in we kind of undersell it a little bit because it... it, it... I think some of it was fr- still that residual, like the expectations I think we built up, you know, I guess before the buy, I feel like I've kind of still hung on to some of those. And so I want to see a pretty win and this definitely wasn't, but Rice did have 502 yards of total offense in this game. And the offense largely, I think it worked. My, my one gripe with the offense was yeah. A turnovers. We had another tip pass interception in this game, which I, I don't even, I don't know, even know what to like, say it, at this point. Like, it, it seems like an point, actual curse. Yeah. Well, at some point I was at three or four or five. I was just like, okay, you know, TJ's getting unlucky, but as these keep happening again and again and again, I'm like, uh, maybe the ball placement I, isn't good. Maybe our receivers aren't catching it. I'm now starting to put more culpability because I no longer can write it off if it happens every game. Like, uh, I, I, I think it's both. It can be both. The, the answer for these sorts of things is it's usually both. Um, TJ's ball placement does need some work. He is often a little bit high or a little bit behind receivers, and he will throw into traffic. And when you combine those two things, there's that's a recipe for balls getting, you know, receivers kind of getting a hand on the ball, but not managing to reel it in. And then when that happens, that, like that's when you lead to tip drill interceptions. But like, just like, uh, like the football is a weird shaped object that bounces in weird <laughs> directions. And it should not like, I don't know what percentage of passes that get tipped into the air and I, I don't know if anyone tracks this because, uh, I don't know, the, <laughs> the 
it probably requires more advanced tracking data than college football generally has. But like, I would, I would be curious to see like NFL data, like what percentage of tipped passes it, like get picked off because it seems like an unusually high percentage. Yeah, I think it's year. fair. I, I, there's, there's some bad luck in there. Like, I, I get it, and it's, it's bizarre. But you know, I think at the end of the day, one interception from TJ on the tip pass. I think early, like mid-season, when he had a couple of those two and three turnover games, was kind of where we started having the conversation of like, dude, you just got to, you got to be better. And I think, and this kind of goes into. And I guess this is an appropriate time to talk about it. Just a larger TJ McMahon state of the quarterback position at Rice conversation, which I think is this now might be a, an interesting time to have it because TJ throws for 334 yards in this game. We'll believe that that was the third 300 yard game that he's had this season. And he was also, this was start, let's see, start number eight for him which sets the Mike Bloomgren quarterback record for consecutive starts, period. He passed wow. Sean Stankavage, who started the first seven games in 2018. So McMahon is now the longest tenured starting quarterback that, that Bloomgren has had. And, you know, like, let's be honest, I don't think the bar was very high. And part of that was because of the lack of consistency. Nobody got more than like a three-game run at a time. But I think TJ has become, you know, it, I guess the, the, the early on in this season, I'm like, well, he's the guy now. I thought he could be the guy. And I never really thought about what that means long-term. But I think now, like, TJ has become more than just a, a fill-in. He's become a reliable quarterback and at times a, a pretty good quarterback. Like I've kind of seen him grow throughout the season. And I think this was another instance of you put the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter, it's tied, go win the game. I thought he, he placed, you know, we talked about ball placement. The throw he had to Rosner on the sideline was perfect. The throw he had to Isaiah Esdale on third down right after that to move the chains after back-to-back false starts to start that sequence. He was really good. And then the throw to Rosner to kind of walk it off at the end. TJ McMahon is a capital G good quarterback. Am I overstepping? Or like, can we say that now? I don't think so at all. Like, I think he's a, a... Let's try to come up with a a different phrase, different word than gunslinger because I'm tired of it. But like he, he, he takes risks and, and mostly in a good way at this point. Like I think he has cut down on some of the issues that, you know, if, if luck had been average instead of gone against rice early in the season, that would have led to like a fair number of picks rather than the, like how many does he have total 12? Yeah, that's a lot. Um, like, let's let's say that luck, you know, if luck were average, that bring that that down to like eight picks, maybe, uh, maybe nine. I don't know. Like, take a couple of those out of there that were just that were just you know the ball bouncing randomly. Like, that's still a lot of interceptions. It's still more turnovers than you want from your quarterback. But like, given what this team has worked with at the position in prior years, given what he is providing for them in terms of making plays like 
you take that. Like, they they need somebody who can go out and make things happen, and he consistently does that game after game. And lately, the the even the, the, the turnovers, the interceptions, the bad plays have really, he's really cut those down. So, like... Um, and is it fair to say, going off the point that, that you made about, you know, what's led to some of those tip pass interceptions, like we've talked about the ball placement and and things like that, like, I think there are points that that, that is a, a correctable thing that you can learn as a quarterback, like in throwing behind receivers, that's been a, a, a problem. That's something that you can fix and get better. And in the quarterback, and I'm not, I don't need to like go dog on anybody in, in, in prior years, but there have been Rice quarterbacks in the past where the problem is just made you threw a ball that you never should have released, period. There was no good outcome happening from this decision, and you let it go. And that was the problem. And that's like, that really has like, there's been like maybe one or two passes this season where that have been intercepted, where it was like, yeah, TJ, that was just a bad idea. But these haven't been bad ideas. They've just been poorly executed, which you can fix. And he, he has yeah. gotten better. There's less of these. Yeah. Last three games, uh, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. Like, that'll be, like yeah. as, as of after the FAU game, he was at 10 and 10, and now he's at 18 and 12. So... Like, we're seeing it actively get better, even as the team as a whole has had shaky results over that three-game stretch. Uh, As as crazy as it seems to to look at a a two-and-one stretch in conference play, which most teams would take all day long and be like, oh, God, that that was some rough times. Uh, The team's overall results have been spotty during that stretch. But, I mean... His performance has has been uh, nothing to sneeze at during that time, and, and a generally a market improvement over the beginning of the year. Completion percentage has been a little low, but like he's been he's been making plays, like and it's and he was at sixty eight percent in this game. Yep, like that's really that's really good. Like <laughs> quarterback like completion percentage, like Sands Mike Collins has been about like fifty to fifty four honestly, in the past five years. Yeah. So the fact that we have a game where you're close to 70, man, <laughs> like, yeah, that was really good. A reason for that was this wide receiver core is it like better than we expected and we had high expectations. Like when when they've been able to kind of keep the drives alive and 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 convert mm-hmm. on third down, they were five of six to start the game on third down, and I thought that was a huge huge boon for this offense. But Brad Rosner, Isaiah Asdale, Luke McCaffrey, that trio, I'm just back of the envelope math here, accounted for 243 of the 334 receiving yards, and were targeted. What shoot? 23 times on 31 attempts like they they're all dudes and it's been so fun to watch this was a rosner game like yeah. i don't think we've had really an asdale game but as he's had he's had like a couple big plays late in games that move chains so like man if that's if that's he, what he's been like a consistent option. like yeah how, how many teams have their third receiver just like take over a game on occasion 
like most Kobe Hamble, like- Kobe Campbell had a big game, a big catch in this one too. Yeah. It's been man, I think our frustrations from the Charlotte game on the offensive side of the ball, I think we talked about like there were some issues, like some things they weren't doing very well and a lot of that was tied to staying on the field and not really having opportunities because of the defense, which I think we're about to get to. But yeah, like I think I'm I don't think I ever got off the train on the rise offense being good, but I think I'm right there with, you know, I think this defense and, and UTEP is, is pretty solid on defense. The one thing, um, well, I'll, I'll say this. I, I think the offense is, is good. And I think you're going to go up the next couple weeks. Western Kentucky is a very, very good offense. UTSA and North Texas also near the top of conference USA. And those, you are not going to win scoring 28 points. I will just, Full stop. No. That's not going to happen in any of those games. You're going to have to get 30 plus. And I'm now getting to the point where I'm starting to believe that this is a team that I don't think needs, you know, that weird extra defensive score, that busted play or something crazy to get. Like we got, they were at 30 comfortably with a couple field goals in there. Like this is a 30 point a game offense. Which exactly, I actually just went. That's to check what we asked for for thirty years. They are exactly at thirty points a game this year. Oh, look at look at you go. <laughs> my my so, my one just wish is I want the running game to work. Yeah, maybe that's asking too much, but that's yeah. That's the I, only I think thing. we're at the point this year where I it's you know you're nine games in. Most teams kind of are who they are at this point, so expecting anything other than I I'm not expecting anything other than maybe marginal improvements in the running game at this point but like sometimes they do it well enough and when they do the whole offense looks great because the passing offense is really 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 solid so um yeah I mean it's it's and it for some reason it took until the fourth quarter for Juma to get some run and like he played early, and he he had a couple like pass blocking snaps, didn't really get to carry the football much, uh, but finishes this game six for sixty five, ten point eight yards per carry. I'm just every time Juma has got an extended run of five plus carries in a game, every time he's averaged five plus a carry. And this yeah, dude and- is he's the most explosive runner on this team, and with a caveat because I think. Like Cam Montgomery has been great and done a really, really good job. But Cam's not a guy that you want to put between the tackles. Keep using him how you're using him. You need a between the tackles guy. It needs to be Juma. Full stop. And like even you take out the 31 yarder he had, and that's still five carries for 34 yards, which is almost seven yards, which is 6.8 yards a carry. Like that's still. Yeah. That's. Almost as big as that's almost the size of Cam's average, even with Cam's 34 yard run included. So, like, you're not missing any of the explosion there. And I and like part of me thinks that they are trying not to overwork Juma because he has also had, you know, he has had in, injury issues in the past for for most of his career. But like, six carries a six to ten carries a game is not like overworking a guy. Uh, if he's healthy enough to get on the field, he's probably healthy enough to get more than more than five carries. So, um, yeah, it it continues to work when they give him the ball. So, uh, you know, you got three games left. Why not? Why not? 
try that some more. Are we we sneakily predicting a Juma game? Who's he going over 200 against? I think huh. he's PSA. There we go. Put it down. You heard it here first. Unless it doesn't happen, then forget this was ever put in the, the ethers. <laughs> but that's offense. I do. Can we say one quick thing on special teams? I don't know if we need to like spend a lot of time breaking it down, but um, how about how about Christian Van Sickle? <laughs> so we brought this guy in from was it? Oh man, I'm gonna get this wrong. It was I think it was Dartmouth, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Let me. I'm pretty sure in Ivy League, and had never attempted a collegiate field goal. Had never attempted a collegiate field goal, and he got put in last year as kind of a well. What we have right now isn't working, so can you try, please? And I think the dude has three 43-yard field goals on the year, which I guess all tie a career long. He was three for three today, or t- today uh, on Thursday. He's been really good. Like he's made uh, his kicks. Which... I'm I'm I don't know how this escaped my notice. I guess they haven't been kicking a lot, and we've been at the time been being like, oh hi, yeah, he had a 40, 40 plus yarder here. That was really nice, and they haven't kicked a whole lot of field goals. Um, I'm so sorry I, to do this. I, think I just he's realized perfect, isn't he? Isn't he, he perfect? Is, he is nine for nine on field goals and thirty for thirty on extra points. I Christian, I'm so sorry. You are going to miss every kick in the next game, and it is 100% our fault. But great job so far. We will not hold it against you for this this horrible thing that we have done to you. But yeah, how about that? But yeah, like you're right. We this is a Christian Van Sickle carve out segment of the show. Awesome. Like Rice doesn't have to go for it on fourth and fifteen from the. T- because you can make your field goals and that's that's kind of nice <laughs> everything is better when all of a sudden it's not seven or zero you'd like more points but man and, and i thought yeah. it was an interesting little little flavor there's a certain of this game area of the field for field goals yeah yeah but there, it, there are it, certain it like areas them. of the field and and situations where uh even the most aggressive of coaches is gonna be like all right let's just take the three points it's not and it's nice it's nice to get those three points when you decide to take them Fantastic. Christian Van Sickle. Shout out. <laughs> Defense. Man, we should have done the Van Sickle kicking greatness last. I don't want to. Yeah, that would have been a nice. Talking about the defense. That would have been a nice. Uh, I am so sorry. A nice kicker at the end of the podcast after we have to talk about the defense now. But. Yeah. So last week we asked if the defense was broken. And we said. Maybe, I don't know. And I kind of feel incomplete after this one. Yeah, if we have have to take an answer from this one, I think it would be um, not as badly as the Charlotte game made it appear they might be, but they're probably not that good. So here's what I thought was interesting. Okay, so UTEP goes down the field, first drive, a hot knife through butter. Uh, like, just completely zoom down the field, three minutes, eight plays, 78 yards. The first play from scrimmage was actually like a rollout pass from Gavin Hardison that Gabe Taylor got 
a jumping hand on and almost intercepted on the first play of the game, which would have been awesome, but it was not. So that program drive was kind of, it was honestly really deflating because I was like, here we go again to some degree. Uh, But then you take out the drive where they kind of kneeled it right before halftime and they had a field goal drive, a touchdown drive uh, sandwiched between four, three and outs, which was really good. Like (laughs) the fact that like, this is a defense that just could not get out off the field period, the end full stop against Charlotte and was able to do that to any degree was good. <laughs> like that was really encouraging. The the downside and it kind of steamrolled at the end. In the third quarter, this kind of turned into a shootout. Uh, both teams yeah. scored on their final three possessions. Sands, UTEP's like schoolyard play with, with 25 seconds left on the clock. That was bizarre. But but yeah, so, I, and I, I put this in my game preview this week for the Western Kentucky game. Rice is actually doing better since the bye week on third and five and longer than they are in third and short That's on defense, bizarre. which, so, like, I was like, are they just really bad at third and long? And and, and they're not, but, just at least from statistically, but... I think what's happened is they have converted. There's been enough of those high leverage third and longs where there's just been a lot of cushion in the secondary, which is, I don't think anything new. This defense has always played that way. They've always given that cushion so that they don't get beat over the top. But I think that's kind of what has been most noticeable. Those third and long conversions have come you know, in the fourth quarter in times where like, man, you, you got to get off the field on third and 11 and you don't. So to some degree, I don't think they changed their style, but maybe I'm, I'm more optimistic. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I'm optimistic, but I, I feel like maybe, maybe third down will come back to somewhat normal. Yeah, because the flip side of it, like they were they were bad on third down. Um, they did, you know, they they were put in a disadvantageous position with regards to the, you know, getting no turnovers and having two go against them. Um, but like I said, kind of at the beginning, if you compare, like, and I know I always go to this a lot, but like this is something that if you listen to, like, I guess Cover Three is what he's on the most out. But if you listen to Buddy Bud Elliot, who I feel like is one of the people who I don't know, does the best blend of like general football analysis, but also looking at it from a stats perspective, like someone who says smart things and does a lot of gambling on it, which usually you trust people to know their stuff with regard to that. But um, he always comes back to comparing yards per play as just like a very, as like the simple kind of metric that you can look at and say like, okay, how did this game like really go? Like who really actually played better in this one? And Rice considerably outgained UTEP on a per play basis in this one. And uh, would you care to guess what the post game win expectancy for Rice in this game was? Ooh, to go along I with can. that. Well, because th- I'm thinking they gave him the short field on that interception, and it's got to be like 80, 80 plus percent. Like this, 
99.5. Wow. By, uh, like, per, per Bilsey's numbers that he does this on, this was Rice's highest postgame win expectancy of the season. So what, is that like this and FAU and LaTeX were all like 93 plus percent? FAU was only 84.4. Oh, okay. Um, but Louisiana was very high, 97.2. But yeah. But they so, had the, some some very controlling statistical games. We just need yeah. to see it on the field. Yeah. I mean, this is they've now had yeah those three games. You you're looking at at eighty four percent win expectancy in a three in a three point loss, ninety seven point six percent in a one point overtime win, and ninety nine point five percent in a in a seven point win, which feels kind of crazy to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, I mean I guess it kind of we're somewhere in the middle of this team's performance versus how complete of a team that we think that they might be. So, I don't know if that I still I, I you know, we're going to finish the season. I'm not going to know how I feel about this team. <laughs> like maybe that's the truth. Yeah, no. This team could lose out and get blown out in all three games, or they could win like two of them in upsets and win a bowl games. And my mood would be different, but I'm not sure my like overall evaluation of the quality of this team would be much different. I think in some ways the Rice Owls typify the 2022 season of college football. It has been extra zany chaos like Tennessee was number one like come on like as far as how weird this year has been I feel like we might just get a microcosm of that every week with rice football and sometimes the offense is good sometimes it is bad sometimes the defense is good sometimes the defense is bad sometimes special teams is good sometimes special teams is bad and you just kind of roll the dice on every given Saturday or Thursday and you see what happens yeah we haven't been bored yet no, no. Yeah, yeah, so, I, I, yeah. I think that's kind of where we're at. I think this we, I think I've, we've come off the ledge a little bit from the Shara game, which which we we knew we would, and yeah, it's still TBD. I, I think you know, kind of tying the bow is this is a team that is capable and flawed, which basically is. Every team in college football this year, except for like maybe Georgia, <laughs> like honestly, yeah. to different yeah. varying degrees. So I don't know. I we'll see what happens, but I'm I'm kind of I'm coming around that I, they're they're better than they've been, and they still need to do a little bit more to get to where they need to be. So I mean, they they've now like, and this is it's kind of like last year where they you know they posted the highest win total of the Bloomberg era, and it was still like, oh, I don't know how to feel about this team. This year, they've got three games left. They've already beaten, that now already set the record for most wins under under Bloomberg, and they've won their most games since 2015 at this point. And I'm still like, I have no idea how to feel about this team. So, 
We'll see. On to next week. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, they're they're at they're at five five and four with three games to go. They will probably be fairly heavy underdogs in all three of those games. We've we've seen them win under those circumstances many times lately, and they've got three bites at the apple, so um hopefully they can at least pull out one of them, but we'll we'll see y'all over the next couple of weeks down the stretch reviewing every game, and we hope you stick with us and rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.